wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. And we're back, folks, right here on WrestleRant Radio for August 29, 2016. Actually, by the time this goes up, I don't know what day it's going to be, but it's been super late, long time coming. Um, we're going to do double the audio for you guys this week coming off of Raw, SummerSlam, SmackDown Live, and NXT TakeOver Brooklyn from just last week. Then, of course, reviewing Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, and the Cruiserweight Classic from this week as well, coming up this Thursday, September 1st, I believe it's going to be. Um, so a lot of content going up this week. Again, I apologize for the for the delay. It's been just a busy past 10 days. But looking forward to talking all about SummerSlam, TakeOver, Raw, and SmackDown from last week. Most of which I was in attendance for just last week. And the slitty that never sleeps in Brooklyn. Um, just a quick shout-out, too, before we get started here. To everyone that had the chance to meet over SummerSlam weekend at uh, most of the shows that I was able to go to. Got to run into a bunch of people. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to each and every one of you for a decent amount of time before the shows, during the shows, after the shows, whatever. Just probably the highlight of the weekend by far. So look forward to doing the same thing next year, considering SummerSlam has already been confirmed for Brooklyn 2017 too. But like I said, probably the greatest wrestling weekend I've experienced to date. Looking forward to topping it next year as well. So where better to get started basically than NXT TakeOver Brooklyn from last Saturday. Again, I would certainly say, and this might be a bold statement, the greatest wrestling show I've ever been to to date. That's how great the show was. The only other event that was occupying that top spot before last week was obviously TakeOver Brooklyn from the year prior. And as perfect of a show as that was from start to finish, in my opinion, not only my favorite TakeOver that I've ever been to, or my favorite show that I've ever been to, not only my favorite TakeOver of all time, but the best TakeOver to date up to that point. And we've had a lot of great you know, TakeOver specials, Dallas, London, The End, Respect were all great in the last year, uh, but I'd certainly say start to finish that Brooklyn 2 has been the strongest TakeOver special to date, and I'll talk about each match and why each one shined. There wasn't a single bad match in the card, the quote-unquote weakest match, the first women's match between Ember Moon and Billy Kay was probably the weakest, but even that was notable for the in-ring debut of Ember Moon and that amazing finisher that she debuted, so even that was something special, you know? Every match and moment on that show had something to offer, which is why it will forever stand, or at least until maybe next year's TakeOver in Brooklyn, as my favorite wrestling show that I've ever been to, my favorite TakeOver up to this point in time, as of August 29th, 2016. Um, but anyway, so bas- basically, let's get started here with the opening match. We had Austin Aries versus No Way Jose, and a really good match. I mean, a lot of people were expecting this to be a pretty decent match at best. And Austin Aries is so excellent in the ring that it really shouldn't have come as a surprise how good of a match this was. But it was really a test. Not, I mean, more so for, you know, Jose than Aries. Aries has already been proven. He proved for the many years that he was in Ring of Honor, on the Indies, in TNA in the last five years, how great he is of a wrestler. But it wasn't until, you know, just recently that Jose really had this something to prove in this feud with Austin Aries that he really was as good as he said he was or whatever. 
because up to this point, since he debuted back in April, I think it was, he's only really had squash matches. He really has only faced enhancement talent. I don't even really think he's faced a guy like even a Buddy Murphy or Wesley Blake or even a Ty Dillinger. He's faced mostly... I think just you know enhancement guys, so he has yet to have a match that exceeded maybe two or three minutes. So this was a real test for Noah Jose, and I thought he passed with flying colors. And when he came out, he had you know a great reaction. I went nuts. The video is up on YouTube as we speak, in the random video blog on uh, my SummerSlam weekend experience. The video of that uh, of his entrance is up in that video as well. But yeah, people love this guy. I mean, I used to say, not used to say, like, oh, we won't get called up, but I really felt like oh, this might be an NXT act, and it very well might be. But I'm really hoping that officials don't hear the reaction that he got on this show and themselves and think, okay, he's main roster ready, because he absolutely is not. He is just getting started. I'm glad he lost. I'll talk about that more in a second. But he had a great showing here. I don't know if the guy's capable of instant classics with just about anyone. I mean, granted, his opponent was Austin Aries, so... It was kind of a foregone conclusion. It was going to be a really good match. But I really don't want NXT to get ahead of themselves with No Way Jose. And I've talked about this before. We've talked about it on WWEC Radio. I've said it in articles. I've said it here on this show. That the guy's really good. He's got a great thing going. I don't know how far the gimmick can go. I think that's my biggest you know, my biggest concern, my biggest issue with it. Is that we've seen this time and time again. With Brodus Clay as the Funkasaurus. As Adam Rose with the Rosebud crap, with uh, even Disco Inferno and stuff like that, you know, Fandango, that these characters have a very short shelf life, for have a very short shelf life, and they don't really go beyond a certain point on the card, and people can only take so much of them before they get sick of it. So I'm really happy that Noe Jose was able to capture the audience. I mean, granted, they were pretty pretty split. Uh, for most of the match. I was very surprised how split this crowd was. They weren't 100% Jose. They weren't 100% Aries. It was very much 50-50 for both Aries and Jose, which was great to hear. Um, I mean, which is, you know, I mean, Aries is obviously going to get shared in Brooklyn. He has yet to be overlooked in take and you know, NXT. I know he came in, kind of flew under the radar, but they turned that into a storyline, turned him heel, and it ended up being the best thing that could happen to the guy. And he's been killing it ever since. So, again, Really good match. Glad that Aries won, too, considering that what happened afterwards. And up to this point, I was pretty surprised. Like, why isn't Hideo Itami, you know, why isn't he even shown? Because I figured I put up a bold statement, a bold prediction on Twitter the day before TakeOver on Friday that they would do Hideo Itami versus Ty Dillinger on the pre-TakeOver NXT TV tapings, which they did hold once again. They did Ty Dillinger, which was great to see him. Not versus Itami, though. It was Wesley Blake in a pretty boring bout, but people like Dillinger and the whole 10-count thing, as do, as do I. So it wasn't that bad. Um, they also did Authors of Pain versus TM61 in a really good match. But no Atami. I'm like, okay, so the guy's not scheduled for TakeOver. And very rarely do they cut promos at TakeOver. So he's probably not coming out to do a TakeOver promo or, you know, do a promo at TakeOver. He's probably being left off the card, which is pretty weird. And they thought of every place to come in, this would be... I didn't foresee him coming out to, you know, save Jose or attack Aries or whatever. So that was a pretty pleasant surprise. So the place went nuts for him when he came out. Um, immediately took shots, you know, immediately started laying in blows to Austin Aries. They went at it with his loafer shoes, and I think he busted an eardrum of Aries or something. Aries said on Twitter a couple days later, which was not surprising because, you know, uh, Atami was hitting him hard with those shoes. I thought it was pretty, a little too hard, but anyway. So he followed up with the first ever televised GTS, and the place came on glue. They lost their collective shit. It was amazing. 
Um, he's only hit it one other time. That was in that San Live event the night before WrestleMania 31. So a year and a half earlier. But he's been teasing this for almost two years at this point. They started teasing it at Our Evolution back in December of 2014 in that tag team match with the Ascension. He did not hit it on that night, but the place went nuts anyway. But regardless, um, it's been almost two years in the making, which is amazing. They finally, you know, peed it off in front of a red-hot Brooklyn crowd at the start of the show. Could not have asked for a better time for him to finally hit that move. And no one saw him coming. You know, when I entered TakeOver, when I entered tonight, the first thing I thought to myself was, oh, we're going to see a GTS tonight. You know, I didn't even think we were going to see a, Hami, a Tommy period. So that was pretty cool. Um, really good match between Jose and uh, Aries to kick off the show. Second match, as I mentioned earlier, was Ember Moon versus Billy Kay. Not a really great match. It was just was what it was. Fine for what it was. It wasn't really designed to be a great wrestling match to begin with. Maybe they were capable of one of those. Billy Kay has come a long way. She was kind of like this pretty, you know, pretty face, and that was pretty much it as of a couple months ago, uh, with all blue gear, and that was about it. But uh, Ember Moon is really impressive. The match itself was mostly Billy Kay, which I was surprised about. Um, but she's pretty short, too. She's got the red contacts in, which would be pretty cool. Um, which is weird. I, I've gone, I've done a complete 180 on that. I feel like it depends on the person that's doing it. But like with Roman Reigns, when he had the... He might still do it. I don't really know. I forget. But when he had those, you know, super blue, like these, you know, uh, super bright blue contacts that he would wear in his eyes. It just got annoying after a while. Um, it just, it was just so distracting, but I don't know. The the red contacts for Ember Moon work for her for whatever reason. She's a cute girl. She's a great wrestler and the finisher was off the charts. So basically, um, she jumped off the top rope and did a flying stunner that would make Stone Cold blush. Um, hopefully, you know, people were making the joke all night on Twitter about how, uh, it took, Cena, six to eight months to finally perfect the, uh, what was it called, the springboard stunner. Not even perfect, he, you know, it got to a point where he was doing it, he was botching it pretty much on a regular basis in every match that he had, that he just did away with it, finally. He finally just got rid of it by the end of, you know, once he uh, stopped wrestling at Hell in the Cell for a few months. By the end of 2015, he had completely retired the move, and thank God, um, because he just does not do it well. But uh, Ember Moon, you know, did it per to perfection. I thought it was a great-looking finisher. It's very unique. That should get her cheered in no time. And I think Ember Moon versus Asuka is that next big money match for NXT. Um, at this time a year ago, it was Asuka versus Bailey, but now we've seen that twice. Bailey is now main roster bound. It is time to move into Ember Moon and Asuka. I don't know if you do that at the next special, which I think is in early October. That's my question right now, when the next takeover is. I think it's in October. We've had no confirmation from WWE. Maybe if I did some more digging in terms of when NXT booked appearances and dates, I'll find out. But um, I haven't heard anything. I know they taped the next couple of shows for September of NXT and that, that are going to be airing over the next month. But I didn't hear anything about plans for the next TakeOver or no spoilers about that. So I'm not exactly sure. Um, but that would be my best guess because that was when Respect took place in October of 2015. Um, but regardless, though, I thought this was a really good match. I'm looking forward to Ember Moon versus Asuka down the line. So after that, I think we had Bobby Roode versus Andrade Cien Almas, who is still struggling. He got a pretty, pretty, not deplorable, but a pretty disappointing reaction. Not that I was expecting cheers or anything. Just, no one, not that people don't care about the guy. It's just, as of right now, nothing about him makes him stand out. Because he's a great wrestler, but sure, so is... Norm Dar, so is Grand Metalik, so is Brian Kendrick, and those guys could, you know, get much more of a reaction than 
than Andrade almost does. Maybe it's a lack of mask. I'm not exactly sure what the issue is. We've talked about this before time and time again in Hashtag Ask Sam here on this show. He's a really good wrestler, but it's just something is not connecting character-wise, at least not right now. So I don't know if you have to turn him heel, you know, do away with the dumb suspenders and the stupid fedora hat. I don't know what you have to do, but right now he's just not clicking. On the bright side, he and Bobby Roode did have a good match. Nothing, not a blow-away belt by any means, but, but a good match. Um, but one of the highlights of the night was not the match itself, certainly not Bobby Roode's finisher, the pump handle slam, which they're calling the glorious bomb, you know, kind of capitalizing off the momentum of the global Twitter presented by Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, which are hilarious, by the way. Um, but th- that was not, not a good finisher. He needs to change that, use the finisher that he used in TNA, whatever the hell it was. The highlight of this match, last the night, for me anyway, was his entrance. And the guy comes out like a freaking god. He is an absolute god when he comes out. Just from the way that he came down from that uh, from that platform and he turned around and he looked at the screen, his name appeared on the screen, and the place was sing along with his theme song, which, you know, caught fire as soon as it was released on YouTube the day at the night of his appearance. I remember he debuted on NXT a few weeks ago, and literally the same night that he debuted um, that same exact night, they put the theme up on WWE's music YouTube channel, and I don't know how many hits it has now, but it, it's it's pretty up there. It's a pretty popular song, to say the least. But man, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a clip. I know there's a clip of me talking about it here on the show from about two or so years ago, um, about how Bobby Roode is an absolute star, how he would flourish as a babyface, and he is a good babyface. But the guy is an absolute money heel. And I'm so glad they brought him into NXT as a heel from the get-go. Because NXT needs heels. They have Ares. They have Joe for right now. And now they have Rude. Um, so that's three solid top heels you know, for the time being anyway. The guy just is a star. Is a star. And I don't say that about many people. I say it about Balor. I say it about Sasha Banks from time to time. Um, there's just a lot. Very few people on this current landscape of WWE that, you know, reek of stardom, like Brock Lesnar died. That guy is a star. He has that mystique about him. Um, I'm not saying, you know, Nakamura is a star. And now Bobby Roode can be in that same conversation. The guy just has untapped potential, and he's super, super good. Not to say that potential wasn't tapped in TNA, and I think that either it came to a point, not that TNA was underutilizing Bobby Roode. They, they knew how to utilize him. The guy broke out as a single star in late 2011, he was one of my favorite parts of the program throughout 2012, throughout his longest reigning, you know, NXT, or NXT, a TNA World Heavyweight Championship reign in history, and the great matches he had with AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Rob Van Dam, Mr. Anderson, Sting, um, Bobby, Ro- he is Bobby Roode, but uh, James Storm, all the rest, um, really stuck out to me as, wow, this guy can go, he's a great worker. And this guy belongs in WWE. He is just a WWE-made guy. I know TNA can build their company around this guy, but and they tried to at several points, but just it got to a point where he had done everything, both as a babyface, as a, as a heel. He had won the world championship twice. He had been tag team champion a few times. He had pretty much done it all. So when he left the company earlier this year during the midst of his beer money reunion, which was the last thing I pretty much wanted to see him partake in in TNA, um, I was happy because I knew that he was NXT-bound before long, and he finally came over and... And again, we talked about it here on the show earlier this year why how NXT must sign Bobby Roode, and they did. They made the right choice because right now he might be, other than Shinsuke Nakamura, the hottest thing going in that promotion at the moment. And I cannot wait for the time when he and Nakamura go one-on-one for that NXT championship because you know it's going to be a blockbuster. So a good match, not so good of a finish finisher anyway. For uh, I'm glad Bobby Roode won. The finisher wasn't that great. Uh, the entrance was... <laughs> 
the entrance was absolutely uh, a spectacle, to say the least. So after that, we had our first of three championship matches of the night, the Revival taking on Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. And we all knew, going into this match, going into this show, that this match would be probably the show stealer. And as great as the main event was, I really enjoyed the women's match, but I thought this was the match of the night. And it's weird, too. I've gotten a lot of mixed... Um, feelings, mixed reactions about the Revival. Um, I was never a huge fan of them from the get-go, like when they came out for that eight-man tag team match before TakeOver last year for the pre-TakeOver NXT TV tapings. I was like, eh, they're just another generic tag team. They still do have that kind of generic look about them, but the, you know, the jackets they come out in, their mic skills are really good, their theme is awesome. Um, They're just a great freaking old-school tag team. And I'm so glad they're still the tag team champions. I love Gargano. I love Ciampa. I would have marked that they won the belts. But these guys have really just done have done just that. Have really revived tag team wrestling in NXT. And the matches they've had with Enzo and Cass, American Alpha, and now Gargano and Ciampa. Um, just a really, really good match. I caught the final few minutes on my phone. They're up on the channel. Um, at least a snippet in that random video blog. The SummerSlam Weekend Experience video blog. Just a snippet, one of the near falls, when they nearly had the championships won, and I think either Dash or Dawson, I forgot who it was, um, put the other one's foot on the rope. It was just insane. Like I said, phenomenal match. And uh, hopefully a rematch is you know, coming down the pike. Because you know we had we got two matches from Revival and Enzo and Cass at TakeOver. We had two at TakeOver, actually three altogether between uh, Revival and American Alpha. So why not at least another match with Gargano and Ciampa, hopefully the next special and I would hope it culminates with them winning the belts. Because otherwise, who else do they, do they defend against? Maybe TM61, but TM61 just lost to Authors of Pain. You know, Revival versus Authors of Pain. I know they're both heels, so probably not. So I don't know what you do. Um, but the tag team division in NXT, despite having only like maybe four tag teams at most, is really starting to blossom into something great. So I'm glad to see um, that this match was the match that stole the show. I thoroughly enjoy this. Obviously, as I said, the Revival is still the NXT Tag Team Champions, but I cannot wait for the day that these guys are on the main roster. They are that freaking good. Um, so after that, Bailey contending for the NXT Women's Championship against Asuka in a match that I thoroughly thought that I enjoyed and thought was um, better than the Dallas match, which I was hoping for because I thought that match was good. I enjoyed that match. I thought it was a, actually a really good match watching it back for the second time on the network right before TakeOver the end a few months ago. But... um. I don't know, I just had the feeling that they were holding something back. I don't know, again, I don't know what it was, but I just got the feeling that they were just holding something back or what. And maybe just because of the shocking finish with Asuka, you know, forcing her to pass out to win the championship. I don't know what it was, but uh, I didn't love that match as much as I thought I would. This match, I thought, was a drastic improvement. I thought it was a really, really good match. Both women put forth a strong effort. And the crowd was, again, 50-50 for both women. They love Asuka and they love Bailey, so it wasn't fully in favor of Bailey like I thought it would be, which I'm happy about. I'm glad Asuka got you know, the cheers that she deserved. Um, so, again, great match. Asuka finished her off with a kick to the head, and they uh, she showed respect towards her afterwards with Spanx and Becky Lynch in the crowd. I think Mick Foley, too, is in the crowd, or maybe he just came out for the main event. I'm not sure. But still, awesome match. Bailey gets a, uh, a great show of respect afterwards from not only Asuka, but the crowd as well. So I'm very happy to have said to be able to say that I was there for her final match in NXT and her first match on Monday Night Raw, which is also sick too, which I'll get to momentarily. Um, so again, awesome match from the women. Uh, main event time for the main event of the NXT Championship, Samoa Joe versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the gold. And again, exactly what you would expect it to be, a hard-hitting affair with both guys just kicking the absolute crap out of each other in a really, really fun match. 
And you, again, I've talked about it before and I just, I can't put it into words. The energy in the arena for Nakamura's entrance, from the moment we stepped in the Barclays Center, from the moment they opened the doors, to the second we left that arena, um, at the end of the show, at 10.30 at night, it was all Nakamura. That was Nakamura's night, dude. I know Bobby Roode got a huge response. People loved the tag team match and Bailey, and she had her final NXT match, presumably, pretty much officially now that she's on the main roster. But dude, I'm telling you, like that the match that they had, or you know, Nakamura just alone, the match was really good. But Nakamura came out of that thing, came out of that night as the star of the night by far. People were humming, uh, were humming his theme song. They were singing his theme song in you know in line when we were waiting to get in to the arena. They were singing it before the show started. They went nuts when he showed up on screen in the Titan Tron. They went nuts when he came out for his entrance and the violin thing. I can't even put into words how amazing that was. People were singing his song or, or singing his theme song on the way out of the out of the out of the arena, uh, down the stairwell, down the staircase, in the uh, corridors of the Barclays Center. It was just crazy, and people outside too were singing. It was just such a surreal thing to be a part of. So obviously they made the right move, as you could probably tell, in putting the belt on Nakamura. This was his night, and Samoa Joe. I mean, I'll talk about it, but uh, the match was great, and uh, Nakamura is an absolute star. Samoa Joe is a star. They had an awesome match. Very happy, very happy to have been there for uh, Nakamura's crowning moment as NXT champion. But Daniel Bryan made this great comment. I think it was on. You know what it was? It was the sit-down interview that he had with Michael Cole on WWE's YouTube channel, WWE.com, whatever. It was from last Friday, from a couple days ago. Okay, and he made this awesome point. I do agree that the NXT upstarts, people like Joe Nakamura, should not be called up to the main roster. Obviously, they do they deserve to be there, and they should be on the main roster right now. They're already stars. They were stars five years ago. Not even, even further back than that. They were stars from the moment they set foot in NXT. But I also agree they shouldn't be brought up unless they have creative direction. Like, Balor, they finally brought up because the brand split finally happened, and he served his time in NXT... And it was time to push him as the face of... Like, I get that. They shouldn't bring up Nakamura tomorrow if he's just going to be having matches with Sheamus or Del Rio. You know what I mean? That said, though, Daniel Bryan made this amazing comment. I know I didn't really agree with him during the Talking Smack thing, which I'll also allude to a little bit later on. Um, and a few other news and notes uh, before we get to SummerSlam that I want to address so I don't forget at the end of the show. But uh, he made this great point about how Joe and Nakamura should be in the main roster right now. That's not really all that bold of a statement. But what he said really kind of rang true in that he said that every superstar, every wrestler can only take so many bumps. They have this finite amount of bumps that their body can take, and it's different for everybody. Obviously, Daniel Bryan had to return or had to retire early rather because his body can only take so much punishment before it could possibly get killed in the ring via another concussion or whatever. Okay, so what he's trying to say is that Joe and Nakamura are in the absolute prime of their careers right now. I don't know how old Nakamura is. I want to say in his mid-30s. I know Joe is like 39, 35 around. I think 35, 36. But he's up there too. Um, but he made a great point that the more bumps they take down in NXT, the less bumps, the, the less amount of bumps they'll be able to take on the main roster. And that's kind of shortening their overall span on the main roster. And I'm thinking, you know what? That's a really, really, really good point. And as much as I wish Nakamura and Joe were on the main roster right now, and as much as I love them in NXT, 
They do need to be on Raw and SmackDown. NXT will be just fine. They continue to produce stars, guys like No Way Jose. They'll continue to sign guys like Bobby Roode. You know what I mean? They'll continue to have stars to carry that promotion. But at the end of the day, as important as NXT is, nothing is more important than Raw and SmackDown, which is what this company is depending on. NXT is their future, I understand that. But Raw and SmackDown are what are selling out arenas. They are what are selling pay-per-views, you know, all this other stuff. You know, ratings, getting us numbers, getting WWE numbers, all that other kind of stuff. Nakamura, I mean, he almost said it's it's pretty much like a joke. It's pretty much it is pretty much a joke. The Nakamura and Samoa Joe are still down in NXT. Joe has been down there for almost a year and a half, and only now is he getting probably the chance to get called up. I imagine they're going to do Nakamura Joe too, as they should, at the next Takeover special, which I presume will be in October. But beyond that, if he sticks running NXT, it's a joke. It already is a joke that he's still down there. The guy should have been down on the main roster yesterday. Not even yesterday, last year. Even before that five years ago. And that's how good of a wrestler he is, and he should be up there right now. Um, so again, Samoa Joe, it's only inevitable. I know he kind of came in with the with the thought process. I know about a year ago, I was watching some Table for Three with him, Neville, and uh, <clears throat> I think Bo Dallas. And they were talking about how Joe has kind of brought in to add momentum to the NXT roster, but... <laughs> He's been doing so freaking good, dude, that if they don't bring him up and he's NXT bound forever, it's a major mistake. And I never really thought, I don't think they ever really thought that they counted on Joe getting a, you know, getting as hot as he has as an act over in NXT. They probably expected him to have some good matches here and there with Balor and Corbin and a few others. But I don't really think they thought it through in that they thought that he would end up becoming the, the star that he is. As big of a as big of a priority as he is in NXT, so again, he should be up on. I would put him on SmackDown. Raw has enough stars as it is. I know Balor's gone from Raw, but it's still pretty stacked. They still have Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, Rollins, Reigns, Brock Lesnar. Whenever he's around, Chris Jericho. They have a lot of stars they can depend upon. SmackDown is making the most of their limited roster, and I cannot commend them more for that. But uh, Samoa Joe belongs in that roster. There's not many real credible heel show. AJ is just taking the ball and absolutely freaking darting with it. Not even running with it. Darting with it. Uh, but that's about it. Del Rio's been suspended. Not even if he was around, no one would care anyway. The guy's hardly a top heel. Bray Wyatt is getting there. He has the whole feud of the Orton going, which is good. I like that, and I'll probably talk about that later. Um, but who else? Really, I mean, Baron Corbin is rarely on TV. He should be a top heel, but he's not. Or at least not right now. AJ Styles is really the only credible heel that roster has left right now. Even Bray Wyatt should be a babyface. And they should turn Ziggler, but I think they really need Samoa Joe on that SmackDown brand. So when Cena comes back from whatever the hell he's doing, I think he's filming a show or whatever, American Grit, he can feud with Samoa Joe, hopefully at WrestleMania. That'd be a money match in my opinion. So anyway, uh, overall takeover, Brooklyn 2, just an amazing show as you could tell. What else can be said about it? It was just a magical night from start to finish. Every match had something to offer. Those final three matches are going to be really hard to top. Every takeover feels like it has one or two really good matches or one amazing match. Never do we have three back-to-back-to-back amazing matches like this show did. Even takeover last year, I thought Owens was a great ladder match, but I thought Nakamura Joe was better than that. I thought the winner between Bailey and Oscar, or rather Bailey and Banks, um, but it was Bailey's. This match was notable for being Bailey's final match in NXT before she got called up two days later on Raw. You know, in the tag team title match was amazing as well. People are already debating whether it's the greatest tag team title match in NXT history. <clears throat> so I look forward to rewatching it. I've yet to rewatch it since, since I was there a week and a half ago. 
Um, but it was a great show. Already looking forward to the next takeover, which should hopefully be, like I said, in October and a little over a month away. So, SummerSlam. Before we get to SummerSlam, like I said, a few news and notes um, that I do want to address. Because I probably won't have time at the end. We're already almost half an hour in. And I do, don't want to spend a lot of time on SummerSlam because I don't have a lot of things, a lot of great things to say about it. I feel like I've already kind of beaten a dead horse with this show because I talked about it a lot on um, in the random video blog, in the whole experience video you guys saw. I talked about it a lot in hashtag AskYouSam both today and yesterday and whatever else. So I, I really don't want to go any further with it. That being said, though, um, I thought uh, just a few different things that I forgot, like I said. But uh, we'll talk about SummerSlam in a moment. So a few news and notes here. I did watch Holy Foley. I watched the, all five that are currently available on the network. It's an alright show, but I feel like if you're not super high on reality television, because a lot of it is scripted, a lot of it is very hokey pokey, um, like they were teasing the fact that, oh, Noel may be pregnant, but she's actually, you know, trained to become a wrestler, which was the big announcement. Um, just, I don't know, just a lot of the way that it was filmed, it was very hokey. Uh, I like the Foley family, I like Noel, I love Mick Foley, I think he's great, he's a great family guy, so... You know, it's another it's another platform, another vehicle for him to get himself out there as a comedian, as a writer, whatever. <clears throat> and I don't know when the rest of the episodes will be uploaded. Like I said, the only the, I only know the first five are currently up there on the network in the archived section, whatever. Um, I thought it was good. Again, not an amazing show. Just a lot of stuff about it was very hokey. It's it's just hard to explain. Just a lot of it was fake and scripted. And that's reality TV. That's just the nature of it. But um, I feel like it's more about, I feel like these kind of shows with the families are a lot more scripted than they have any right to be. Like, I loved Legends House, and that was a reality television show, you know, by definition of the word. Um, but I feel like there was more reality in shows like that than there was in Holy Foley, or even Total Divas, which is given, obviously. But, um, so that was good. Also, Mr. Fuji passed away yesterday, I think at the age of 82. I did not find out the exact cause of death, but I'm pretty sure it was due to old. I was texting someone back and forth yesterday about it. I couldn't tell you the last time he was on WWE TV. I imagine it was probably when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. I think at WrestleMania 20 or 21, 04, 05, one of those years. But I don't think he's been on TV since then, which is kind of a shame. I know he's old, like I said, but uh, he was really old. But one of the greatest managers of all time. Definitely a, a big loss, a big blow to the uh, wrestling world. We just lost Gene Wilder today. Actually, as I record this, uh, Willy Wonka and everything else that he was you know, uh, you know, know, known to have... Uh, done over the course of his acting career and beyond, so uh, that was another big loss to the uh, world of pop culture, to just to the world in general, but to the world of pop culture as well, a big blow to that as well. So uh, rest in peace, both Gene Wilder and Mr. Fuji. I feel like there was something else I was going to talk about, another big happening in the world of wrestling, exactly what it was. I guess we'll get to SummerSlam right now. If I remember, maybe we'll talk about it at the end. I don't know. We had Rod and... I don't really know. I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, so we had SummerSlam last Sunday. Again, also in attendance for that show, too. Um, a good show. I thought it was better than last year. I thought the 2015 show was, was really good. I thought 2016 was even better. But a weird show. I thought a lot of people summed it up the right way in calling it a weird show. Probably just in terms of the way that the matches, you know, the lineup and stuff like that. I don't know. Just a lot of the way... Like, the fact that the Universal title match went on before... Lesnar and Orton, but I also heard the argument that they couldn't really close off with Lesnar and Orton because, or they couldn't close off with anything else but Lesnar and Orton just due to the way that it ended, and it probably would have overshadowed the Universal title match, and I guess it kind of did. More people are talking about Lesnar Orton and how disappointing it was than the Universal Championship match, or the belt even, which is also ugly, but anyway, it's not ugly, it's just unoriginal, which I've said time and time again, but anyway... 
Um, so kicking it off here, like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on each match. My written thoughts in the show are already up at nextdaywrestling.net right here on the website. Just type in SummerSlam 2016 review. I'm sure, it's the first one that pops up. Anyway, so on the kickoff show, which we arrived just in time for, John actually went to the bathroom. I took my seat, and I saw the entrance of American Alpha, which was pretty cool. We saw them at NXT Lowell back in April, um, so this was nothing new. Um, so I've seen them before, but it was also a really good, you know, it was also cool to see them again. They're just a great tag team, obviously. Goes without saying. But uh, American Alpha, Usos, and Hyperos defeated the likes of Ascension, Brazongo, and the Vaude Villains in a 12-man tag team match. A really a nothing match. There was no one there. Um, it was kind of a shame just because it felt like a dark match. No one freaking cared. It felt like an indie show or something, you know, because there was no one sitting down. They held, they held the match at like 5 fucking 15 or something. They held it right before everyone really took their seats. So that was kind of a shame. Uh, the second pre-show match was a bit better. Deadly Boys versus Zayn and Neville. All right for what it was. Neville and Zayn won. Uh, Deadly Boys continued to tease tension, which ended up leading nowhere, which I'll get to in my brief Raw review. Um, but still an all right match. Neville and Zayn win. And then our third kickoff match, which was bumped to the kickoff show, which I think was probably for the better. Uh, they shouldn't have held you know 11 matches to begin with on the kickoff show. Just because, or just in the entire show, 13 matches is a lot. 11 matches, even on a four-hour main card, is a lot. So I'm very glad they cut it short and they put Sheamus Cesaro on the kickoff show. Match one of their best of seven series. Another really good match. Their best bout to date. I'm glad they're innovating. I don't know how whole that will, you know, you know how truthful that will be by the end of this series if they continue to have the same matches over and over. I'm not exactly sure, but so far so good. I thought this was a good match. Sheamus won clean, which was kind of necessary just because he lost the first two matches. Not in the series, but he lost to Cesaro twice before. Still a good match. And uh, advanced to, uh, they, they advanced to match two, which did not take place on Raw due to the rewrites, due to Balor's injury, which we'll get to as well. But, uh, yeah, so the kickoff show is all right. It did not need to be two hours. Uh, they did not need that 12-man tag team match. I understand getting everyone on the show. But it's like everyone gets a trophy. That's that's I don't like the mentality. I feel like the people that deserve it and the people who work the hardest and the people that had their storylines ready should be on the show. Don't throw the fucking Dudley boys and Zayn should have been on the main card. I'm glad I got to see him, but it's just ridiculous that he was on the kickoff show. But that match meant nothing. The 12 man tag team match meant nothing. You know, even Sheamus Cesaro was a great match. And I'm glad they bumped it because it felt like that motivated both guys even more. Trying to prove it to the man, the officials, Vince, whoever. That they deserve to be part, and I feel like they did that very successfully. One of the better matches of the night, in my opinion. But what did kick off the night was Jared K.O. taking in the likes of Enzo and Cass, and a really entertaining opener. The crowd was singing along with everything, just rephrasing every single word in the opening shtick of Enzo and Cass. It was incredible. I got to see those guys live at Brooklyn last year takeover. I saw we saw Big Cass, not a major role, but he interrupted the Dudley Boys at Extreme Rules back in. Um, Back in May in, in the Prudential Center in New York, in Newark, New Jersey, which was cool. But these guys are so over, dude. Brooklyn is their backyard, so obviously we're over as Rover. Uh, over like Rover in Brooklyn. And the match itself was really fun. I know people were like, oh, he botched the finish. Jericho, or, uh, Jericho botched the finish with a code breaker. But it still looked good from where I was sitting. Maybe not so much on TV. But it was still cool. Uh, I hope they adopt that as their tag team finisher. You know, Jericho could be over tonight as I record this if... Uh, if one of them, or rather, if just Kevin Owens, Jericho's not in the match, if Jericho, or rather, Owens wins the Universal Championship in tonight's Fatal 4-Way on Raw, so who knows? But uh, still, really entertaining opener. Glad Jericho won. Would have been happy with Enzo and Cass winning, too, but I feel like Jericho needed to win more. Enzo and Cass, I think that was their first loss 
in standard tag team action since coming to the main roster, which blows my mind. I'm happy about it, but it blows my mind just because they never really won many matches in NXT. Anyone who watched NXT can can vow for that. I mean, they can vow for the fact they didn't win many matches. They lost to Revival two or three times. They lost to American Alpha on their way out. They lost to Blake and Murphy for the tag titles a few times. They didn't really win many matches, but they were still over as hell over in NXT just because they're so you know, freaking entertaining. And that's definitely the case in WWE as well. So it really didn't matter that they lost here. They were still, you know, they look great in defeat regardless. After that, surprisingly enough, we had the WWE Women's Championship matchup next uh, between Charlotte and the defending champion Sasha Banks. A really good match. Just stop with the dives. Stop. I mean, I know Sasha Banks has a back injury. Not due to the move that she suffered in the match. That just did not come off well at all. But probably a nagging injury that she's had for a while. Now, I know I heard reports about it months ago, even before she came back to TV to feud with Charlotte. So it's been a problem for quite a while. But, dude, I mean, I know these girls are trying to prove to the men and just pretty much to everybody that they can hang with the guys. And I, I respect that. I commend that. But... It's just, they don't need to be taking those kind of risks. Like, maybe once at WrestleMania, I get that for a WrestleMania moment, but these girls are doing it pretty much every single freaking match. Mostly Sasha. And I know why she does it. She loves wrestling. She grew up on wrestling. She idolized Eddie Guerrero. So I get it. But she's going to end her career a lot sooner than she expects or that she plans on just because of all the risks that she takes in these matches. Like, she's shortening her career already. She's already injured, and she'll be out for a month or two, probably because of the stupid stuff that she does in these kind of matches. Um, and it just, I know she's small, so maybe she could take the she could take the pain, she could take the bumps. And I get that, but it's just not going to end well. She'll be wrestling until, you know, 30, but not 35 because of all the injuries that she suffered over the years. So hopefully that won't be the case. I hope I'm wrong, but still a really good match. Charlotte, in surprising fashion, winning back the Women's Championship... Um, a really shocked feeling in the arena when that happened. You know, John and I, you know, exchanged looks of uh, of shock when that happened. Just because most people had Sasha winning. Uh, she just won the belt for the first time at the night after Battleground. She held it for a mere 27 days before dropping it at SummerSlam. I know she was not suspended, um, which I, I know a lot of people were speculating that did not happen. Um, obviously, as it as we now know, she's been injured. She'll be out for about a month or two with a back injury. Um, which sucks. Again, I, I I think this might be even a better story with Charlotte winning back the belt, and Charlotte does not get enough credit at all for being the best thing to happen to this women's division in 2016. I love Bailey, I love Sasha, um, but Sasha, if you think about it, has been off TV for most of 2016 anyway. Remember when the year first started and she was off TV for like a month, and then she was, you know, obviously prominently involved in the women's championship chase or the Divas championship chase at that point, going into WrestleMania. But after that ended, she was off TV for something like three months. And then she only came around for the this feud to Charlotte over the summer, and that was about it. Charlotte, rather, has been here since day one. When she came up, she got called up. She has yet to miss a day. She, she probably missed a Raw here, though. I'm not exactly sure about that. But she has been wrestling on most shows, Raw and SmackDown. She's wrestled at every single pay-per-view. She's won at almost every single pay-per-view that she's been a part of. She's just that good. She is that freaking good. Um, so again, I, I think she does not get the credit that she deserves in being as great of a heel as she has evolved into over, especially in the last couple of months. So I really have no issue with her winning back the belt, especially considering that Bailey is now the main roster and we can build to Charlotte and Bailey at Clash of Champions. Now that being said, would it be a mistake to put the belt on Bailey as soon as, you know, to put the belt on Bailey as soon as Clash of Champions? Absolutely. Would I be happy about it? Sure. But I think there's a better story to be hold, you know, to be told 
with her in chase mode until at least WrestleMania. I think her beating Charlotte or Sasha or whoever, or whoever for that championship on the grand stage, in Florida no less, there's, uh, there's a great story to be told there. So I really hope they don't give her the belt as soon as the September show. Uh, but I'll talk more about Bailey's debut in a, in a couple minutes after we're done with the SummerSlam review. But after that, we had, I think, Miz and Cruz. Fine enough match. Miz wins clean. Um, I know Miz had the whole... T- that was the other thing I wanted to talk about, the whole talking smack promo. I might as well mention this now. I don't know if I'll have time at the end, but the promo itself was great. I know I talked about a lot about this in hashtag AskGSM, so I don't want to repeat myself. But, um, you know, I, whether it was a work, whether it was a shoe, was it real, was it... It doesn't matter, people. It doesn't matter. What matters is that it got people talking, which is what this company wanted. It got Miz in the... It wasn't even really designed to get Miz over. It was really designed to get the network over, to get their YouTube channel over, to get Talking Smack over. You know what I mean? People yeah, tuned in in droves to see to see Miz's promo on Talking Smack. I don't watch Talking Smack. I might have to now after that promo. But before that, I didn't watch it regularly because I didn't really care. Because nothing really no ever happens on these pre-show, post-show shit. You know, on these shows, no one really cares. Until now, anyway. So um, I might just tune in this week to see what happens next. But anyway, though, um, but Miz and Cruz was fine. Miz retained the title. I've been saying this for a while now, but I think after Tuesday's promo, that Miz should be the one to hold that championship in, you know, for the next year to break Honky Tonk Man's record. I know people will hear that and, and roll their eyes, but I truly think that Miz could be the one to break the records. I think it's until maybe next July or June or something. That's a long ass time away. But Miz is is essentially our current incarnation. <clears throat> excuse me, of the Honky Tonk Man. He can wrestle better. Honky Tonk Man was never a great worker to begin with. But Miz, although he's not an in-ring technician, he can wrestle a lot better than Honky Tonk Man has uh, than ever did. He can cut better promos, and he's a better character. So why not do it with him? I feel like that the story is there for a championship until next summer. Because who else is really going to take it off him? You know, Apollo Cruz. I like Apollo Cruz. I'd be happy if Cruz took the title at Backlash or even after that. But he's not nearly as even relevant as The Miz right now. I feel like I'd never say that, but it's true. Miz is way more relevant than Apollo Crews ever has been, truly. You know, that being said, I mean that wholeheartedly. Uh, but I'd keep the belt on Miz. I know it might be a bold statement, but I would keep the belt on Miz up until he can break the record, which I think, like I said, might be next summer. But uh, he's been doing really good work, the best work of his career in my opinion, even better than the work he was doing as WWE champion so far as Intercontinental champion, so I would love to see him continue that over the next year in breaking the Honky Tonk Man's record as champion. So after that we had my personal favorite match of the night, of the weekend, of the year. Now it might be a bold statement, but I truly do believe that. John Cena versus AJ Styles. It made it more special for me. And I know John and I were talking about this during the match, after the match, later on. We still talk about it. Excuse me. We still talk about it now. That it might be my favorite match of all time. And I know that's saying a lot. That's covering a lot of ground. But just being there for it definitely put it on another level. Because for one thing, I never thought we would see Cena and Styles ever. At all. Let alone what I did I think I would ever see it in person. Which I did last Sunday. So that alone... You know, automatically ranked it pretty high up on my list of matches, you know, the best matches I've ever seen live. Um, but yeah, I thought it was just the match really just took my breath away. These guys work so well together. Their Money in the Bank match was great. And I think the only real blemish on that match was the convoluted conclusion. I was happy AJ won, 
But I think the fact that AJ won clean here, I mean, the fact that he won was big, but the fact that he won with interference, I think in a lot of people's eyes, was, oh, they, you know, they tarnished his victory. Uh, he, he's a chicken shit heel, blah, blah, blah. You know, why did they have him beat him clean? Because people, they were building to the clean victory. They knew this months ago that this was the plan. To have AJ win via interference and money in the bank, have seen to get his win back, quote-unquote, at Battleground in a six-man tag team match, have the club get sent packing to SmackDown, and then have AJ finally beat Cena clean 1-2-3 at SummerSlam. Because they probably knew months ago that Cena was going away again. And even if he didn't go away, I feel like they still would have done the right thing and had Styles go over. Um, I mean, Styles was not my pick to win. I wanted him to win, obviously. I didn't think he would. Cena has not won a match at SummerSlam since SummerSlam 2010. Six years ago. So by next year, Cena will have gone seven years without winning a match at SummerSlam, which blows my mind considering who we're talking about here. It's like... I, I, I hope he never wins another SummerSlam match at you know there ever again, just so we can have like a reverse taker streak at the event. But anyway, uh, an amazing match. I know some people were kind of complaining they went to their finishers, they went to that well a little too early, but it didn't bother me. The 23 matches went by so quickly, and um, once it got down to those final few minutes, those near falls with the AA off the top rope to AJ, and people, it has been kicked out of before. I know Kevin Owens kicked out of it after. That was the third AA to Owens, and he still kicked out of it at Battleground last year. So when Cena did the same thing to AJ this year, an AA to AJ off the top rope, I think it might have been the first AA to Styles. I don't really remember. And he didn't kick out. I was like, are you joking? I mean, almost no more than a year ago did I see the same thing, and Kevin Owens kicked out. So I was happy AJ kicked out of that. I thought that was the finish. I thought that was it. So when AJ went over, or AJ kicked out of that and then went over by following it up with a Styles Clash and then a phenomenal forearm, the place went nuts. My voice was lost again. It was just an incredible moment. I never thought I'd see the day that, for one, that I'd be there for an AJ Cena match, two, that an AJ Cena match would happen even ever, and three, that AJ would beat John Cena clean. And as people have been saying ever since, what an amazing endorsement of the phenomenal one. That really shows that this company has faith in AJ to be a top star in WWE. If he isn't already, the guy's going to be in the main event of Backlash next month for the WWE World Championship against Dean Ambrose. And I sure as hell hope he wins. I like Dean Ambrose. His reign as champion has been alright. But he's just not lighting the world on fire. The match with Ziggler was good, but it wasn't you know anything notable at all. Very disappointing in my opinion. Um, the Shield triple threat stuff was great, but ever since that, he has really kind of felt cold. And AJ is the exact opposite. He is red hot right now. They need to quickly transition the belt on AJ right now. And it, you know, even at the start of the year, people had their doubts that they would utilize AJ correctly. But from a strong showing in the Royal Rumble to a win over Jericho at Fastlane, three back-to-back-to-back great matches with the Roman Reigns and Chris Jericho at WrestleMania, Payback, and Extreme Rules respectively to uh, an amazing win over John Cena after an amazing match with Cena at Money in the Bank, to another really entertaining match at Battleground, and now this. Again, AJ Styles has been the 2016 MVP for WWE. Sami Zayn, I've said before, has been a a big key component for both NXT and WWE in 2016, but he hasn't gotten those same big wins that AJ has. And AJ, just all things considered, has been this company's superstar of the year. And he probably won't win because the, those slammies are freaking fixed anyway. They'll probably give it to fucking Roman Reigns despite the deplorable year that he's had um, with the suspension and the quick title losses and everything else. But AJ, in my book, has been the 2016 
wrestler of the year. I would say of any promotion. I don't watch much New Japan or anything else other than TNA, Ring of Honor, and uh, Lucha. But even those things considered, I'd still say that AJ is this year's MVP for wrestling. Not only WWE, now that I think about it, this guy has just been killing it. For a guy that we thought would come in and job, you know, would job the Ryback at WrestleMania or something. I know Ryback made a joke about that today. I think he might have been serious. He said the original plan for WrestleMania was him versus AJ, but Vince nixed it because he thought Ryback would squash that little twerp, which had me laughing when I read that earlier today. Hopefully that's not true. Um, this is Ryback we're talking about, who has been known to be facetious in the past. Um, but anyway, for a guy that we thought would come in and lose to, you know, fucking, I don't know, The Miz at WrestleMania, he's come in and just ripped it up with every match that he's had so far. So he's been having the best match of pretty much every pay-per-view. He's in the Rumble. He had the best match with Jericho at Fastlane with, with Jericho. The best, One of the best matches, if not the best match at WrestleMania with Jericho. Extreme Rules and Payback with Roman Reigns. Money in the Bank with Cena. Battleground in that six-man tag team match. Maybe not the match of the night, but up there. And then SummerSlam again with um with John Cena. So AJ has been killing it. And like I said, he needs he needs to win that world championship at Backlash. They might be able to hold off for another month until No Mercy and do it there if they have a cool little finish in mind for uh, for for Backlash. Who knows? But whether it's next month, whether it's in October, it needs to be soon because AJ is the best thing going in this company right now has been really the best surprise, the most pleasant surprise of anyone in 2016, and therefore should be champion at this very moment on the SmackDown brand. So anyway, as we go forward here, not, I mean, I won't spend too much time on the rest of the card just because the rest of the card was kind of throwaway. But anyway, Club of New Day, not a very good match. It, was, it wasn't bad, but it was just kind of like, eh. Uh, Club won via DQ after Biggie returned, which was a cool moment. The John Stewart stuff wasn't bad. I enjoyed it, but I could see why people were annoyed by it, or it didn't serve a purpose, or it was a waste, or whatever. It kind of took away TV time, but that was kind of a forgettable segment. Um, after that, I think we had Ambrose Ziggler. I think was the next match, and match number six in the card. Again, a good match, well wrestled, but no one gave a shit because no one fucking buys into Dolph Ziggler as a number one content as a worthy contender for the world championship in 2016 anyway in 2016 the build to the match was really really good but no one really buys Ziggler as a real threat to that championship and it's such a fucking shame because you know he's good he's a good wrestler he still has it in him but losing clean one two three did not do him any favors and I thought the match with AJ on SmackDown was awesome too but I think that might be all she wrote for Dolph Ziggler honestly I don't know where else can go with him I know John said the same thing I know he said Right before SummerSlam, that if he loses at SummerSlam, and I thought, you know, if he loses but turns heel, he'll be he'll be salvaged. But even that didn't happen. But John said that if he loses at SummerSlam, the guy's done. And at this point, he's right. You know, he lost clean. No signs of a heel turn, no nothing. Just a standard old match at number five in the card, six in the card for the WWE World Championship, the same title that has main evented pretty much, I think, every pay-per-view thus thus far in uh in 2016. What a fucking shame. Uh, so anyway, after that, I think we had the women's match, right? Yeah, we had the women's match. Uh, Carmella, uh, what was that? Carmella, Natalia, and Becky Lynch lost to the returning Nikki Bella. Uh, Alexa Bliss and Naomi. Or no, it was Naomi. Not like, you know what I mean? That six-woman tag team match, which I thought was actually pretty good. A lot better than people gave it credit for. That was good. Like I said, Nikki Bella, happy to see her back. They did, they did a double turn on the Nikki and Carmella on SmackDown, which I thought was good. I always thought Carmella was a better babyface because she was kind of gradually getting over in NXT, but no one really cared about her all that much in the main roster, so it was kind of smart they turned her heel. Maybe she'll find more comfort in that role. 
And Nikki got cheered when she came back. I don't know how long that's going to last, but I guess you might as well run with it. So turn her baby face. Turn Carmella. You're good as gold. Um, after that, we had the Universal title match between Balor and Rollins. A really good match that was greatly hindered by that uncreative, unoriginal uh, Universal Championship belt. It's not ugly. Same thing as the WWE Championship belt, which I think looks good. But it's the same thing, just with the red strap. Get creative. Imagine, imagine 15 years ago when they reintroduced the World Heavyweight Championship to WWE or kind of, I guess, instituted it, you know, using the same big gold belt. But let's imagine they did not use the same big gold belt, okay? Let's imagine that they brought in the same WWE Championship that at that point, what were they using it in 2002? The uh, the Undisputed title, yeah, I guess that Lesnar was holding at that point. If they had that same belt, but they had a red strap, people would have been pissed. People would have been fucking pissed if that was the case 15 years ago. It's not a matter of, oh, people are too smart in 2016. People complain too much. I never complained. I just thought that was way too, way unoriginal. You know, that was just me, but I thought that was ridiculous. Anyway, a good match. Balor wins. Would go on to mean nothing because he got hurt in that same match and um, had to relinquish the championship the next night on Raw. And as of this recording, I don't know who's going to win the belt tonight on Raw because I'm recording ahead of time. But still, it sucks. The guy gets called up on his birthday, wins two matches in the same night, including a win over a clean win, mind you, over Roman Reigns to advance to SummerSlam against Seth Rollins in a match to determine the first ever Universal Champion. Debuts the Demon on Raw, has an amazing Demon entrance at SummerSlam, and then wins his first World Championship. And it hasn't been said at all. No one has said this, but uh, Finn Balor has now broken the record for quickest, if it is a World Championship, which I'm assuming it is, Finn Balor has now broken the record of Brock Lesnar as the quickest ascent in WWE history. Brock Lesnar was the fastest winning WWE champion in company history at, I think, a little over four months. Balor won his first world championship in less than a month, in 27 days. That's insane from the moment he arrived on the main roster. So we could still say that. He's also the uh, second ever person to win both the NXT and WWE championships. He's also both the... Not the WWE, not a WWE championship, not the WWE championship, but a WWE World Championship. Also, the first person to hold a NXT championship or the NXT championship and a WWE World title in the same year too. So that's a pretty big deal. So good match could have been more, and I hope for a rematch when Balor gets back from injury down the line. Uh, Rusev and Reigns never came to fruition because they brawled, which I'm glad they did because they gave the way a match on Raw. They didn't have time anyway, so I'm kind of glad they didn't do it, but. Hopefully the feud is not yet over and they do a rematch of Clash of Champions. Otherwise, what the hell is the point of like a three-week feud that built to a brawl? To a brawl at SummerSlam? People were pissed. I didn't really care, whatever. Um, just because it got us to the main event quicker. So Lesnar and Orton, um, the, the hot topic in wrestling right now, even a week later. And the finish that happened because of it. I was hoping for more of a competitive contest between the two. Lesnar and the whole Suplex City thing, I still enjoy it. but And that's what's you know making him money. That's what people are coming to see. But I feel like Lesnar, being the big star that he is, should have had a bigger fight, more of a fight than he did, put up more of a fight than he did. I don't know. Um, I, just maybe because it was seven minutes. I know it kind of definitely took people off guard, the whole blood thing. And I think, obviously, as has been told in the past week, I think the original plan was to do a TKO and have it end in that kind of fashion. But they, I don't know, and I think blood was part of the equation, but I don't know if the cut that Lesnar gave Orton was, you know, intended to be that bad. It was a pretty deep cut to give him 10 staples, and it was it was a bloodbath in the middle of that ring. So, again, I enjoyed the match, but they definitely could have used at least four minutes to make it more memorable than they did. 
And it's not even like they were en route to doing that because the match ended the exact way it was supposed to with Lesnar bloodying up Orton and that being it. F5ing Shane, a match that I do not want to see. Um, again, I thought about this before, but why? What would that match accomplish? What would a Shane McMahon versus... Uh, a Shane McMahon versus Brock Lesnar match accomplish? Lesnar's already a monster. If he could Orton and Cena in a matter of minutes, then what the hell kind of chance does Shane have against the Beast? Really, honestly. Like, it could be a great match in terms of Shane selling for Lesnar, but we know he's not going to win. I know it's not really a matter of that, but... Shane's past his prime. The match with Undertaker WrestleMania was not a, really a match. It was more of a spectacle, if anything. I just have no desire to see that match. I know he f 5 them at SummerSlam. It was a good little way to explain the fine that uh, that, that Stephanie gave him for $500, which is like, he wipes his ass with $500, Brock Lesnar does. But anyway, hopefully that does not lead to a match between the two, just because I have no desire to see it. it not that the match wouldn't be good. Maybe it'd be fun, but... Especially on a pay-per-view. Maybe at a house show, if anything, or on a network special. Just to kill time. But I would hate to see them waste a pay-per-view, a valuable pay-per-view slot for a Lesnar match against Shane. Or they're not even on the same show anyway. Like, I could see why they did it with Orton before the draft went into effect. Uh, it was already in effect by the time the match happened, but they made the match before the draft happened. If you know what I mean. If that makes sense. But anyway, um, I feel like a, a Lesnar-Shane match is just so... It doesn't need to happen. It's such a waste. It's such a waste. So hopefully that's not in the cards and um, Lesnar can continue to dominate before someone ultimately beats him, which will happen, which is going to happen. I can guarantee you of that. But I'd much rather see Lesnar face a Cesaro or an Owens. Even if he's dominating those guys, I'd rather see him face those kind of superstars than fucking Shane McMahon. So anyway, that's SummerSlam and TakeOver. I know we were going to talk all about Raw. I already kind of alluded to it. Bailey's main roster call-up. Uh, the Dudley Boys saying farewell was a bit surprising just because everyone in the arena and their mother thought that the Dudley Boys were splitting up and Bubba Ray would turn on Devon. That did not happen. They were legitimately gone from WWE, which is disappointing. Um, I was hoping they would be doing more in the company, like winning the tag team titles again or, like I said, turning Bubba heel and having him going off on his own. Didn't happen. Neither of those things, which kind of sucks. Hopefully they are back down the line. They left on good terms. They did have a really good send-off, though. Um, they had a good promo. They put, or they, they didn't put anyone through a table. They, the club put them through a table. So they put over the Young Guns on the way out. They delivered a 3D to the Shining Stars of all people who no one gives a shit about anyway. So I thought it was a good segment. But other than that, I pretty much already summed up Raw with Balor's injury. Uh, the Fatal 4-Way Universal title match tonight, which is happening as I speak. So um, we'll talk more about that on this week's, the upcoming edition, or the next edition, I guess, of WrestleRant Radio. And also, uh, Bailey's main roster call-up. I already talked about that. And uh, everything else went up that went on, you know, that happened on Raw and also SmackDown. I kind of alluded to as well. And the SmackDown Women's Champ, the SmackDown Tag Team and Women's Championships, which are damn cool. And like I said, we'll talk more about that on Thursday show too. So as always, guys, thank you for bearing with me through the uh, delayed edition of Wrestle Rant Radio. Like I said, I never really intended for the show to be this late. Um, I know it's going up like days later, but I do want to get an episode out talking about SummerSlam, Raw, Takeover. SmackDown to an extent, Holy Foley, Mr. Fuji, Talking Smack, all that other good stuff before this week's edition goes live on Thursday, which should hopefully be on time. I know the past week and a half has been super busy. Uh, that's why I could not get the episode done. I've just been really just going nonstop to different places and shit. I went to a Northeast Wrestling show yesterday. Just I was working. I got to see family over the weekend, so it's been a really busy past couple days. But keep in mind, though, the show should be back to normal come Thursday, the final I think this is basically the final episode of the summer because Thursday is September 1st. So I guess I'll see you guys in September. And until then, I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch you folks down the road.